0: Last week, we started a really brief series that, as I think about it, kind of prepping us and gearing us up for this Be Heard 40 Days of Prayer campaign, and I did so, and we're doing this because truly, you and I are at a crossroads. Just like our nation is at a crossroads in a few days, where we are going to inaugurate the 45th president of the United States, you and I are at a crossroads. will 2017 be like 2016? Or will it be better? Will you be a better person? Will you have a better marriage? Will you have a better family? Will you have better finances? Will you have better vocation, career? It is a choice that you and I can make, have to make in order to get there as we talked last week we need to we need to understand how first of all just to be healed and we took a look at a promise that god gave to solomon and to all of god's people including us out of second chronicles 7 verse 14 where god said this if you will humble if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves seek my face turn uh, pray and turn from their wicked ways i will hear their prayers. I will forgive their sins and I will heal them. We need to first start there because the reality is we're sick. We've got some things uh, that have hurt us and as a result we are injured as a nation, as individuals, as schools and as cities. Truly, I am hoping and I am praying that as we get into this prayer campaign that we will see spontaneous prayer groups coming together and say, you know what? We really do, as a mom of children, we really need to come together and pray for our kids and the teachers. We need to really come together and we need to pray for our churches. We need to really come together and pray for our government. We really need to come together and pray for our businessmen because the reality is, folks, there's a lot of hurt in our world but then we wanna to come together and we wanna say, God, we not only want healing, we want restoration. We wanna be full, filled, full of life. And let me tell you the difference. For me, it was, physically was this. When the surgeon got done with my surgery, he says, George, you're, you're healed. You're, you're, you're gonna be fine. Everything's gonna operate the way it should. But I didn't feel like it. I was healed, but it wasn't for about, say three or four weeks later that I finally came back, okay? and I am back. Now God in his word, oftentimes as he sets up things for us is that he starts out with the positive. He casts a vision of the preferred future that we would want that that he has for us, but at the same time he casts a vision for if you don't change, this is what it's gonna look like. In Deuteronomy, God brings the nation right to the edge of the promised land, and he says, okay, before you go there, I, I wanna cast a, v- the, a vision for the preferred future. It's called blessings. But at the same time, he casts a little bit of a vision about, you know what, if you don't follow me, guess what, here's the vision. It's called curses. In the book of Deuteronomy, God lays out six things that you and I need to do if we're going to follow him. He says, if you follow me, hey, this is all the things that are gonna happen economically, uh, uh, relationally, family, across the board. But if you choose not to, well, this is what's gonna happen economically, family, across the board. But in order to entice them, he says, I'm gonna give you a promise. And here's the promise in Deuteronomy 30. He says, if you return to the Lord your God and you and your children begin wholeheartedly to obey all the commands I have given you today, then the Lord your God will, will you circle this, restore your fortunes. Folks, that is an amazing promise. God says, I'm not only gonna heal you, but I'm gonna restore, I'm gonna bring life, you're gonna begin to thrive. Today, I wanna take a look at the six steps for you and I, not just to be healed, but folks, to thrive, to have a full life. That's what we need. And the first step is simply this. We must reconnect with God. We gotta reconnect with God because he is the source of life, is he not? You see, there are many different ways that somehow, way, we drift from God. And yet it's only when the bills start being due that we begin to recognize, oh my goodness, where did I go wrong? I have got to get back in this love relationship with God. The question is this, how do you do it? How do you reconnect with God? Well, let me give you a couple of ways. First, it's as you begin to realize or recognize that God is God and you're not. You see, the reason why we oftentimes drift in life is be- and experience all these problems is because we think we're God. We think that we're in control. We think we know better than God. And so in order to re- reconnect with God, you have to realize that God is sovereign, that he rules and reigns, that he knows the end from the beginning, that history is his story. And by the way, your history is his story. Jesus did this throughout his ministry. There was a certain prayer that Jews prayed. It's called the Shema. It's out of Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. that says, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Jesus quotes that a lot. In fact, one time, a guy came up to him and says, hey, what is the key of life? Of having, a, in essence, a full life, a, a full marriage, a full family quality of life across the board. And Jesus Before he answered and gave the first commandment and the second commandment, he said, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. What's he doing? He is connecting with the Father. And he is saying, there there is no such thing as little gods. There is only one God. Folks, this is the first step in recognizing that God's God. The second is this, you you realize that God is more ready to connect with you than you are with him. God desires a relationship with you where truly when you wake up in the morning, the first words out of your mouth are to God. You ought to talk to God first before you talk to anybody else. You ought to listen to God before you listen to anybody else. God desires a relationship with you. Because he made you to love you and he wants you to love him back. But oftentimes what happens is that we allow our flops, failures, and fumbles, the mistakes that we've made in our our life to cloud this perception. We think that if we come to God and we start talking to him, that he's going to scold us. God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He longs for you no matter what you've done. He wants to be in relationship with you. In Psalms 145, the psalmist says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. As I was thinking about that and doing some research on it, I came across some information that that, those two words, compassionate and merciful, are used 113 times out of 114 times In the chapters of the Quran. Where did it come from? The Bible. The Bible was written, the Old Testament, written thousands of years before the Quran. The only thing is, is that with the Bible, it just doesn't stop with God being a merciful and compassionate God. It goes on and says, and God is a forgiving God. Most world religions don't even mention that. And so we have to understand that God is a merciful and compassionate God and that's linked with forgiveness. Take a look at this verse out of Isaiah 30 verse 15. I don't know what area in your life that you're wanting to be better next year with. Maybe your marriage, maybe your finances, maybe your family, maybe work relationships, whatever they are. Take a look at this verse, here is the secret. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 15 The sovereign Lord the holy one of Israel says only in returning to me and waiting on me will you be what? saved Folks it's the only way that your marriage is going to be saved Some of you are struggling with that It's the only way that your finances are going to be saved It's the only way that your family is going to be saved is by returning to the Lord. And when you do, this is what you will find. Take a look at Joel chapter two, verse 13. Return to the Lord your God, for he is compassionate and merciful, and he is always ready to what? Forgive. And to change his plans about disaster. Let me ask you this. How connected are you really with God? How would you even know if you are? I'll tell you how. By what you give first, what you give priority to first. If it's your job, if it's your marriage, if it's your family, it's, that's what it is. And if it's your voice, the very first thing that comes, that you say, God, if I don't get anything else done today, I want to know you better. And guess what? That's who's, number one in your life. And so what I wanna do, just to kinda warm us up, to help us to see these are things that we can pray about, after every point, we're just gonna pray as a church. So let's pray, let's bow our heads and let's pray a prayer of connection. Dear Father, everything that we see that exists, exists because of you. It comes from you and it belongs to you. It has all been created for your glory. You are God and I am not. Thank you that you show grace to everything that you have created, amen. The second thing is this, we rejoice in his grace. Now what do I mean by that? I mean simply this, that we need to be grateful even in the bad times that we need to rejoice in God's goodness even when things are not going our way. Paul said it like this, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Does that mean when your marriage is going south? Yes. Does that mean when your health is going south? Yes. Does that mean when, when your family is just going amok and it's going off to the four winds? Yes. Paul said rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I really think from God's perspective as he looks down on humankind, he says, is there anybody out there that is grateful for what I am doing in their life? Are they just always a bunch of complainers about this and about that and about something else? Isn't there anybody out there counting their blessings? Is there anybody out there that's rejoicing in my grace for the things that are going right in their life? You see, why is this so important? To experience a full life, a full marriage, a full family, full finances across the board. It's because gratitude, it, it, it's because gratitude when things are not going well is proof that you are trusting God. You see, when you're grateful, even when things aren't going well for what is going well, in essence, you're saying, God, I don't, I don't know what the future holds in A, but, but I know who holds the future And I'm going to be grateful for what's going on in my life right now. Habakkuk, if you study the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk gets up on some mountain and he's overlooking the devastation of an army, a wicked, evil army coming in and to destroy families and people and marriages and economy and across the board. And he ends this prayer as he's talking to the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Friends, right now, you may be in some deep doo-doo. I don't know. You truly may have started the year and it did not start off right in the 15 days that you've been into it. And yet you have other things that you can be grateful for. Rejoice in his grace and in his goodness. You see, truly, in a few days, we're gonna see a peaceful transfer of power from one party to the next, from one president, the 44th, to the 45th president. And though you may not have voted for him, and you may be worried about what the future holds, you can be grateful that it is a peaceful transfer. Because I have been to countries where it has not been and literally millions of people's lives have been taken as a result. And so let's pray. Let's pray the prayer of rejoicing. Let's bow our heads. Father, we rejoice in your grace for living where we live and for having what we have. We rejoice in your love that has filled up our hearts especially in times, God, when we're experiencing trials, troubles, and tribulations, amen. Let me ask you a question. Which do you spend more time doing, griping or being grateful? God calls us to be grateful. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says, give thanks in, will you circle that word? All circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There is a big difference between in and for, isn't there? You and I don't give thanks for cancer, for the loss of a loved one through death, for a loss of a job. Folks, it'd be stupid to do those kinds of things, but God does call us to be thankful in those things. And when you and I are, you want to know what what that means? That means you're in the center of God's will. Now, why is that important? Because attitude determines actions. And actions creates an atmosphere. And those three things, attitude, action, and atmosphere, create momentum. A direction that you want to go. And God says, be thankful in all things. This past year was not a good year for me physically with pneumonia, diverticulitis, and then my bladder shutting down for four months. Not pretty, and I'll let you paint the picture in your mind what that was like, though I was here on campus, teaching, etc. But God instructed Cheryl Knight, George, I want you to worship me through this. I want you to bring your worries and worship. I want you to thank me for what I am doing, maybe in other areas of your life. And you know what I discovered, what or what we discovered as we did that? One, that God is good. God is good all the time, even when it's bad. But secondly, we discovered how close we really are to one another. And then thirdly, we discovered just what a great biblical community we have our small group and the church and the response you see why did Cheryl and I do that every morning we start God you're God we love you we know you're a good God and we worship through our, or we yeah we worship him through our worry why take a look at Romans 5 5 verses 3 and 3 and 5 we rejoice in will you circle the word in our trouble because we know, will you circle the word no? We don't guess, we know that these troubles produce patience and patience produces character and character produces hope. We'll get to that in 2018. Will you circle hope? And this hope will never disappoint us because God has poured out his love to fill our hearts. Folks, we sought the Lord to give him our worries through worship, why? Because we had hope. We didn't have hope in our circumstances. We didn't have hope in our finances. We didn't have hope in our doctor. We had hope because we knew that God is a good God, that God has a plan, that God has a purpose, that God has saved us. So if you really wanna connect with God, or if you really wanna express your love to God and live a full life, you gotta reconnect with God. You gotta rejoice in his grace. And then the third thing is that you have to request help for everyone and especially for leaders. Then in other words, folks, it's okay and we should pray for our own lives, but we must pray for others and especially our leaders. This is what God says. Did you know? that it's a sin not to pray. Do you know that? It is. Sin not to pray. Uh, Israel came to Samuel, the last prophet, and said, hey, you know what? We want to be like the other nations. We want a king. And it didn't, Samuel didn't like it, but God told Samuel, Samuel, that's okay. Give him a king, okay? And, and God told Samuel, and Samuel communicated to the people, guess what, guys? Though I don't think this is a good idea, okay, let's go for it. But I want you to know something, I'm not gonna sin against God by not praying for you. Now why does God want me to pray for other people and especially leaders? And when I say leaders, I'm not just talking political. Folks, do you know how many leaders that you have in your life? You got kids, you got Sunday school leaders, you got teachers, you got a principal, you got, uh, you, you got city officials, you got academic, I mean, cross, there's all kinds of leaders and God says, I want you to pray for everybody but I want you to especially pray for leaders. Why? Three reasons. Take a look at 1 Timothy 2. I urge first of all that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving, stop right there, there are four types of prayers right there that he mentions. Be made for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. That it, This is good and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, the reason why we pray for everyone and our leaders especially is one, because we wanna live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and in holiness. And so what that means is we come to God and say, and say, God, will you give our leaders wisdom? And if you and I do, you know what? Life goes better for us. The second reason is this. He says, this is good and it pleases God our Savior. It puts a smile on his face. And then the third reason is that it promotes the gospel. When you and I pray for our leaders, when we pray for everybody, it promotes the gospel. It causes the gospel to run more rapidly in the community that we have, which by the way is changing dramatically. When we pray, what happens is that God changes our heart and he builds a bridge into someone else's heart where we have an opportunity to be Christ, to speak for Christ, to to love and serve like Christ. And so we pray, we pray for everybody. Truly in the campaign that we're gonna be starting, I got three objectives for us. One is that you will grow deeper personally. I guarantee you this, that if you start talking to God first thing in the morning and at noon, allowing me to give you a text to remind you, and you close your day that way, you're gonna get closer to God personally. Secondly, my prayer is that we will get um, wider with others, that truly we will see a movement of God's spirit beginning putting people together. You can call them small groups, whatever you want, five, 10 minutes before service, let's pray for our kids, let's pray for our business. I want you to pray for business people, folks. Looks like I'm gonna have an opportunity to talk about outrun homelessness with the head of Toyota. I am scared to death. We need to be praying, coming together and praying for different things. And it doesn't have to be an hour, it can be five, 10 minutes, boom, we're together. Let's pray just for our business, guys. Guys, I hope you do something like this. So we pray, and we pray for everyone. So let's go before the Lord. And let's pray a prayer of, uh, for all of our leaders. Father, we would ask you that you would give all of our leaders wisdom, wisdom to be three things, to be humble, to be generous, and to be people of integrity. We ask you that you would protect our families because God, we wanna live in peace and prosperity. And God, we want the gospel to run rapidly in our world, in our life, and in our community. Amen. The fourth step to a restored life where you're experiencing life to the fullest is this. You and I must repent of our self-centeredness. Now why? Because self-centeredness is at the root of all of our problems. G.K. Chesterton, a, 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 a writer, He really he was a renaissance man. He did all kinds of things, okay? He was known as the, 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 the uh, prince of paradise, okay? Was asked in the 19th century to write for a book that was gonna be coming together with other scholars and people who think like that. What is the problem with the world? And so he participated. He sent a two-word answer. I am, I am what's wrong with the world. When you and I look across America and the world and we see all the hell that's breaking out, all the stuff that's going south, we ought to think, I am the problem of the world. And specifically, my heart is. You see, the heart of the problem that you and I have, whatever it is, is the problem with the heart. It always starts on the inside. God doesn't cause us to drift away from him. No, he wants us to come even closer. And yet we don't think that way. We think that it's something else. Let me me give you an example. Let me just choose economics because money is at the center of a lot of our lives, right? A lot of times when we experience some personal economic problem, we think, you know what, this is an economic issue with economic consequences, when in reality, it is not. It is a a spiritual issue of the heart, and what might it be? Greed. A spiritual issue of an inability to wait, to be impatient, to buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like, okay? And it gets us into deep doo-doo. You see, those issues are not economic issues. Those are spiritual issues. And so we must repent of self-centeredness. Take a look at this verse, because I think this verse (laughs) nails it in the way of American entertainment. Uh, Galatians 5, 19 and 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, Paul gets ready to rip off some things, but let me stop there. A lot of times people think, hey, you know, it just feels so natural, it must be right. Really? Folks, hydrochloric acid is natural. Arsenic is natural. It's not good. Just because you and I might think, oh, well, this just feels so good. I mean, it's just great to go out there and use the credit card and rack up like $10,000 worth of debt. It just felt so right. Doesn't mean that it's good. You see, naturally, I have a tendency that when someone hurts me, you know what I wanna do? Boom! That's just a natural tendency, okay? I wanna hit them. I wanna take revenge. I wanna be bitter. I wanna be resentful. I don't wanna forgive them. But God comes along and he says, hey, if someone hurts you, George, you forgive them immediately. Why does he do that? Because he knows that Bitterness will eat us alive. And so doing what is natural isn't necessarily. In fact, I would say most of the time, it's not right. It's not good for you and I. And he goes on and he, say, and he gives an examples of them. Your lives will produce these evil results. Sexual immorality, see that on TV and, you know, and, and movies, impure thoughts, addictions to pleasure, idolatry, occult activities, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, partisanship, which he explains a little bit, the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in our own little group. Hmm. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sin. Folks, I think that describes American entertainment today. Okay, What should you and I do? We should repent and we should confess. God, you are right and I was wrong. That is what repentance and confession is all about. And if you wanna live a full life, have a full marriage, to have a a full family life, you gotta repent and confess. I cannot tell you how many times I got down on my knees when I blew it with my kids. And I says, I want you to know something. What I just said, what you just saw was wrong. God would not want me to be this way. Will you forgive me? That takes humility. And God says, I want you to be humble. And if you and I will be humble in our relationship, we'll get to this this year. If you and I will get humble, God will give us a full life across the board. And so let's come before God and let's have a prayer of confession. Let's bow our heads. Father, I wanna confess that my focus oftentimes, if not most of the time, is on me, myself, and I when I presume that life is about me, that my prosperity and my greatness comes from me. God, forgive me. Amen. The fifth is this. If you want a restored life, a full life, a life that thrives is that you and I must respect each other. Folks, it just seems like today that there is a lot of people who are rude and crude and uncivil and uncaring towards others. I really believe as I observe our culture is that there are a lot of put downs that are often done through humor. Okay, and then when someone calls and says, well, I was just joking, have you noticed that? I see it all the time. Humor, they use humor as a way to get in their digs so as to put down, and so as a result of living in a culture like this, I think people are starving for dignity. Here's the deal, though we as a people have made progress with civil rights, I don't know that we've made any progress in the way of civility towards one another. Well, oftentimes what I see is that there are people that are yelling, uh, talking and yelling over one another as opposed to talking with someone. God commands us to respect each other. Why is that? Well, it's because God never made a person that he doesn't love, that he doesn't have a purpose for, that he doesn't think is redeemable. I mean, think about this. I, I think we're there, that we would look at the world and we would say, you know what? God has created everybody. But you also, we also know that God died through Jesus Christ for everybody. He just didn't die for a select few. He died for everyone. Will you write this down? Because if you get involved in LifePoint Church You need to understand this about us. We believe in the good news, number one, but we believe in the common good. What is the good news? Well, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, he says, God came, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross for our sins, he resurrected from the grave to prove that what he said we could take to the bank and that we get salvation not by working for it but by receiving what he's done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the good news. We are all about that here. But we are also all about the common good. What does that mean? It means that we believe in in what's best for everybody in our community. It means that we are not a single issued church where we just think and believe. We only do things for what is good just for us. No, we believe in the common good. And that is seen in our church through outrun homelessness. We don't get a dime, and it costs us. Through adopt a family, we don't get a dime, and it costs us. Through going to Razor and Meadows Elementary, we are about the common good. And why this is so important for us to get right now, not that I'll be here in 2030, because who knows? Maybe I will be, maybe I won't, okay? If last year's a Indicator of future years? I won't be here, okay? But I was talking with our Texas State Representative, Jeff Leach, and he he informed me, says, George, you understand that in 2030, that uh, Collin County will grow by threefold. Basically, it's at a million, and then it's gonna be basically three million people. Wow. Do you know what that means? That means We're going to have three times the amount of divorces, three times the amount of families that are in financial crisis, three times the amount of people that are homeless. Across the board, and I want our church to be a church that when I am dead and gone is reaching our community because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But we've got to have the right thoughts, the good news, and the common good. In my office, I have some pictures. Oh, let, let me read this verse. First Peter two seventeen: Show respect for all people. Love the brothers and sisters of God's family. Respect God and honor the King. You see, God tells us that we need to love. Uh, we need to love our church, yes, but we need to love other people. In my office, I have a number of pictures that just kind of remind me of my life and our church and things that I'm going for, and two of those pictures is Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King. Both of those individuals um, had a respect for everyone, that everyone had dignity because they both believed that God created them all, and yet both were different in their, shall I say, religion of life or philosophy of life. Abraham Lincoln, for all, and I've read a lot about Abraham Lincoln, was a deist. I can't find anything that he really had a relationship and believed in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther King, on the other hand, was a Christian. He believed in Jesus Christ. Yet together, those two people motivate me to live for the dignity of every person that is in this community. Now you may sit there and you may think, well George, are you saying with people of difference that are different from me that are different from us that we need to go along so as to get along or that we got to get along so as to go along that that differences don't matter no folks differences do matter they really do i mean it's obvious there is a difference between abraham lincoln and martin luther king i guarantee you there is a difference okay so what do you do you speak the truth in love And when you do, you don't use the Bible as a club to beat someone over the head with. No, you are like Jesus Christ, who is described as one who is filled with grace and truth. And I mention this because we live in a culture today that polarizes people. It just polarizes people. Uh, There's the left, you're either left or you're in the right. You're either a conservative or you're a liberal. You're either in or you're not in, okay? You're, You're with me or you're against me. And oftentimes people who are in the middle that are seeking to be gospel oriented and who are looking at the common good get nailed. They get yelled at because guess what? I want you to have the same enemies that I have. God says, I want you to be about the gospel, and I want you to be about the common good. Take a look at what God told his people when they were exiled to Babylon in Jeremiah 29, 7. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. Pray, will you circle that word, to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Babylon, if you understand Babylon, it was a wicked, wicked, evil city, and yet God comes to his people who were exiled there and said, I want you to pray for them. And I want you to pray that they prosper, because if it does, it'll go well with you. God wants us to pray for all people who may even be different than we are, and don't look at them right now, okay? If you wanna live a full life, folks, we have to pray a prayer of respect, so let's do that. Let's pray. Father, as we face troubles in our own lives, it's easy to become self-centered, and yet we would ask you, God, that you would give us clarity of purpose, that you would give us attitudes of humility and civility towards others that we differ with. Help us to share and to serve and to seek the common good of all people. Amen. And then the last one, and this one is the most important one of all, and that is we must revere Jesus' name. You see, Jesus' name is the most powerful name in the world. Can I get an amen out of that? It is the most powerful name in the world. It really is, folks. And you may ask, well, how do you know that, Pastor George? Well, let me give you a few examples. One. I I challenge you to get in a group of people and just start saying, hey, let's talk about our jobs. And then you start talking about jobs. Hey, what about our kids? you start talking about just, and then you say, hey, let's talk about Jesus. (laughs) Secondly, Jesus's name is the only name throughout the world that is used as profanity. Jesus Christ. You never hear him saying, oh, Buddha. (laughs) Mohammed, darn it. Why? Because we don't curse dead people. We curse those who are alive. Thirdly, is because Jesus' name is outlawed in many, many countries. I don't know if you realize that. That if you use the name of Jesus, you could be beaten, thrown into jail. You might even lose your life over it. But the fourth one, is this? It is the key, folks, to you living a full life. It is the key to answered prayer. Why am I wanting to get us into a mode of prayer? Because God wants to do some things, fresh things in our life where we are restored. And Jesus' name is the answer to that. In John 14, 14, he says, You may ask me for anything, in my name, and guess what, I'll do it. You see, when you and I conclude our prayers with, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, it's not an add-on, like a CB radio operator. Hey, 10-4, good buddy, over and out. No, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're saying, God, you're God and I'm not. I don't even have the right to come into your presence to even talk with you but I know this guy named Jesus and and he and I are buds and God says, I'm interested. When David was in California, Pastor David, student pastor over there before he came here, and I'm grateful for that, sometimes. (laughs) People from his church would come And after a service, one of the staff members would come up to me and say, Pastor George, there's someone here to visit with you. And they would say their name. And I'd say, well, be honest with them. I'm thinking, so what? (laughs) I I gotta get ready for this week's, you know, working with staff, church, all these different ministries. I mean, and then they would say, they know your son, David, and they're here visiting on vacation here in Texas. And then I ask, Texas? You're kidding me, Okay. But then I will bring him in. I want to see him right now. This happened about a week ago when someone in our church, their mom, passed away. And this family, um, uh, the lady, the, the, the daughter, had worked with my wife for years at her place of employment, Chubb Insurance. And when I was told of this, hey, they, they know you, George. They've met you, and uh, they, they would like you to do the funeral. They, they know your wife really well. And so I asked Cheryl, I said, Cheryl, do you know this person? She said, oh yeah, I worked for her for years. I said, make it happen. When you and I use the name of Jesus, folks, there's power in it. I could be out in some intersection and there's traffic and there's a big truck coming and I can say, stop in the name of George and I would be dead. But if I was a police officer and I stood out in a busy intersection and a truck is coming and the truck sees me and I'm an officer, I say stop in the name of the law and what happens? It stops. Jesus' name has power. Here's what I've experienced is that a lot of people are ashamed of the name of Jesus as they interact with community, they say, you know what? I'm a spiritual person. I go to church. I'm a person of faith. Can I just say this? Faith didn't save you. You being spiritual didn't save you. Going to church didn't save you. Jesus saved you. He is the only name under heaven that you and I can be saved. And it's the only name in heaven and under heaven that has power to begin working in our lives and in our families and in our church and in our community and in the world. And so in this series, folks, you're gonna be hearing us. We're coming in Jesus's name. Let's do that right now as we close. Lord, you are a good God. You are so gracious and kind, so filled with compassion and mercy that you are willing to listen, that you are willing to forgive me through Jesus' name and to listen to the things that concern me, God. My life, my marriage, my family, my finances, my work my emotional well-being the community that i live in the schools that my kids go to because of jesus god today we thank you for jesus's name and may we be those who have you as our top priority God, I ask you to work in our church, to work in me, to work in our church. God, we wanna go deeper. We wanna go wider. We wanna go closer, God. And so as we start our day, God, may we be those who are heard. God, if I don't get anything else accomplished today, I miss the cowboy game because of appointments that are lined up after church today, God. If I just get to know you better today, God, it's a successful day. And so God help us. Move in us, God. I don't want Life Point Church to be like it was in 2016. I want it different. We give you this in Jesus' name, amen.